So, why are we who are finite and not so strong, actually quite weak, able to petition God for Him to do things? And He does them. Our infinite God uh, made me think, I'm a space guy, I love space. Uh, this a uh, uh, snapshot, stamp, postage stamp size snapshot from Hubble Space Telescope. And those are all galaxies. Uh, I mean, enormous galaxies somewhere out there. The universe is huge. And then there's our little galaxy, which is the Milky Way. And there you are in one little arm of this galaxy, which you can't even see. Plant. You can't even see our sun in this well, it's not a photograph, you know, nobody's out there taking pictures, but yeah, it, it's put together, it's it's accurate, uh, and there we are, and you're a little tiny person on this little tiny planet that in the vastness of this universe doesn't even show up uh, on any meaningful, um, I don't know, graph or significance, and yet you ask God to do something and he does it. It's astounding. And we and and this comes with so as you can tell we're going to look at prayer today and and Paul actually demands that people pray for him. This great apostle who obviously God has a plan for, um, and and this is what causes us headaches and and questions, is that hasn't God had a plan all along for the person that you prayed for or are praying for? What about the thing that you're praying for? Hasn't God had a plan for that, that event, that part of your life? I mean, he's planned it, hasn't he? And certainly he has. And there's a definite mystery here that no one can know. There's questions that we can't answer. But what we do know is that we're demanded. And it's frequent throughout the New Testament that we are commanded. It is demanded of us that we petition God. Petition God means make requests. And that not only are we to make requests, but we're to do so continually and for everybody, for all the saints and for ourselves. And so today we're going to learn about this opportunity. We're going to look at what Paul asks others to pray for him. And from that, we'll discern, you know, what is the opportunity in our own lives of prayer and and I think just with today, once we look at what we're going to look at today, I think you'll be far more excited, if, you, if you're not already, to pray for others. And uh, to know that it is very effective in many ways. So let's, uh, we're going to start in Acts, the book of Acts, verse chapter 13. Acts 13. And let's open up in prayer ourselves. Another aspect of prayer is to tell God that you're thankful. And we should always be thankful for his word. And we should pray that every time we study his word, that he will speak to us in a personal way and that we will comprehend what the passages are saying. And we should ask him and he will definitely fulfill that prayer. So with that in mind, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. Thank you that you and you alone are the author of this word and that there, it has authority 
authority that only comes from you, and that through your Son, you have delivered us to become recipients of amazing things. And those amazing things, we can only begin to comprehend how wonderful they are. And one of the wonderful things that you've given us as being children, your children now, possessing your name, possessing your eternal life, is to see your word, read your word, to hear it, and to comprehend what you have revealed in it. And that you've given us your spirit within so that we can do that. And so, Father, through this miraculous way that you have revealed your truth, may we, each of us, comprehend what we'll read and hear, and may it affect us in towards the truth and closer to you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So what we'll start with today is Paul's tough time. And we're just going to look at some aspects of his first missionary journey. He had four. The fourth one was really his arrest in which he was taken to Rome. But even under arrest being transported to Rome, he was ministering, uh, ministering on the very ship that was shipwrecked, ministering uh, with those who were shipwrecked on the island that they ended up on. And he's constantly um, delivering the work that God had for him, which we call his ministry. Now, you and I have work that God has designed for us before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 2.10 says that we, were, we are God's workmanship and we, we've been predetermined to walk in certain works. And those works with our spiritual gift are, would comprise our ministry. You have one, I have one. And part of that ministry is our witness. We are all to be witnessers of Christ to the world here and around us, to our neighbors, friends, family, and wherever, wherever God leads us to be a light of his gospel. And few of us will have the difficult time in this that Paul had. Paul had a very difficult time. But it makes sense. As God's apostle to the Gentiles, this man would have been on Satan's radar a lot. But so are you. Uh, so am I. And, you know, the Satan is always trying to hinder us. And so in this, there's going to be difficulty. Paul had a tough time. Now, Paul learned to depend on God in these tough times, as we all must. We depend upon him and him alone. Correct. But we see here, Paul depended on the prayers of others. He says so. Now, if nobody's praying for you, it's not that that God's going to shrug his shoulders and say, well, you know, I'd love to protect you, but I can't. I'd love to deliver you, but I can't. No one asked. Of course not. And therein lies a bit of the mystery of prayer, not the biggest one, but the, the... The fact of the matter is that we're told to do this, to pray for one another, and to pray for each other's ministries. And that's what we're specifically focusing on today. And therefore, we find that prayer is effective. And that's today's theme. In that so many things in our world are bizarre, right? We expect things to work a certain way, and they don't. We expect our lives to go a certain way. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And we're befuddled about life 
And for those of us who have God, we depend upon him completely, right? And so we have peace. If you depend upon God, despite the fact that the world around you is crazy, you have peace. And for those who don't have God, it is they look for other ways to gain something that will distract them or anesthetize them from the reality that is reality. Reality is bizarre. (laughs) So prayer is effective for the ministry of the saints who are out there in the bazaar. And they need your help, as we'll see. First off, Paul and his fellow workers for the gospel were often the victim of wicked and evil men. And that's we'll, when we, we'll go back to 2 Thessalonians here in a second and see. That's what Paul is part of the prayer that he's asking for, is that uh, he would be delivered from perverse. Uh, the word perverse means out of place and evil people. So let's look at it. Acts 13.9. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. Now, the him here is a guy named um, Bar-Jesus. He's got a strange, he's got a couple names in this passage. But he, he's, this man is a magician who has, in the past, bamboozled the governor of Cyprus. And Paul is on the island of Cyprus. And this man is opposing him and opposing his gospel And Paul says to him, you are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now, why is this significant? This is the first place Paul goes on his missionary journey. The Holy Spirit tells the church at Antioch, call up for me, Paul and Barnabas. We're sending them on a journey to give the gospel. They're going to be missions, missionaries. And the first place that they go to, there's a guy there who's lying about them and opposing them. He's so-called magician, who, of course, they're infringing on his work or whatever. And, and Paul has to deal with this. And notice what he calls him. You're a son of the devil. Right? This isn't just some passing guy who says, you know, I don't like Paul. I think he's lying. This is someone who is outright trying to stop him. And this is the first place that he goes. So he continues. When he leaves Cyprus, he goes to uh, Antioch, a city in Antioch, which is a place in Asia Minor, in the center of uh, Antolia, or Asia Minor, in Acts 13, 45. Look at verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, so Paul, as he always did, would go into the synagogue and preach the gospel from the Old Testament, using the Old Testament examples, to show the Jews that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and that he had to die and be resurrected. And so uh, he had a lot of converts. In verse 45, the Jews saw the crowds. They were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Immediate blowback by those. And notice their motivation They're filled with jealousy because so many people are following Paul. There's there's a lot who have accepted the gospel, who are Jews and Gentiles. Then verse 50, But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove, drove them out of their district. So they drove them out. So after, in verse After Paul spent one Saturday in the synagogue preaching, some of them asked him to come back. He did come back 
and the Jews incited some other people. It's funny here, both here and in other places, those who oppose Paul incite mobs so that they can get enough people to push either Paul out or, as we'll see coming up, try to kill him. Verse 14.5. So Paul travels away from Antioch and he goes to another. It's pretty close by. Uh, like Cania and Lystra and Derbe, and this is in verse 5, and when the attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lacania, Lystra, and Derbe and the surrounding region. And there they continued. Notice, there they were like, wow, thank God we escaped that. We better not preach the gospel. Because every time we do, someone's either trying to incite a mob against us or persecute us or kill us. Here they wanted to stone them to death, but yet they go right on preaching the gospel. And this is what his prayer is going to be about. And they continue to preach the gospel. Now look at verse 19. And the Jews from Antioch in Iconium, and, uh, and Jews, sorry, but Jews came from Antioch in Iconium. Now, that's the first place he went, Paul. When he came to Asia, he went to uh, Antioch. And from Antioch, they followed him. And they're following him. And it's not enough that Paul had been kicked out of Antioch. They go and follow him. Same with the Jews from Iconium. They gathered together, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now, it doesn't officially say that he was dead here. We assume that he was, because it's very easy for God to resurrect somebody or resuscitate someone, as we know. But either way, the point is, is that they stoned him. And they threw rocks at him until he was good and dead. And that was the, you know, that's the reception that he got. Now, that's his first missionary journey. He heads at the end of chapter 14. He heads back to to uh, home base, which is in Antioch in Syria, and then he's going to go on another one. You think Paul would have had enough at this point? You know, haven't been stoned to death. Then he gets home, and he's and then he's like, "All right, let's go on another one." And then when he's done with that one and more, the same, he goes on another one. But on the second one, he's in Corinth. Now, on the second missionary journey. He goes to Thessalonica, and there's a vision where someone is in Macedonia and says, Paul, come, and it's a vision from God, and he goes there. So you've got to kind of hop over the, the little strait there uh, where Istanbul is today, and you have to um, get over to uh, Greece, and they went. And he traveled around Macedonia, was kicked out of each place, uh, Philippi first, and then... And then um, yeah, the other one, and then the other one, and the other one. <laughs> uh, Thessalonica along the way. No, for, for Philippi to Thessalonica, and then on to uh, that other place, Berea. And then and he's kicked out of every town. They're inciting riots. And then he goes to Athens, and, and nobody, he's not uh, molested in Athens. It's just that all these super smart Athenians heard his message, and they were like, eh, nah. And he got no. They said no. They very intellectually said, Paul, why don't you come back tomorrow and we'll 
you know, think about it. And he left there destitute. And you can imagine, I mean, who wouldn't be? And he ends up in Corinth. Now look at Acts 18.12. This is Paul in Corinth, and it's from Corinth that he's writing to the Thessalonians. So he writes First and Second Thessalonians from Corinth. And look at 18.12. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, and Achaia is that the place where Corinth and Athens are, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Now, Gallio, who was a gen- obviously a Gentile, said, You know what? This is a Jewish problem. I don't care. And then they beat the heck out of the leader of the synagogue. You just read the next line down. It's Sithosthenes or whatever his name is. They beat the heck out of him right there. And Gallio was like, whatever, not my problem. And that's in Corinth. That's his second missionary journey. It's all he saw here and there and everywhere. Someone told me yesterday, that Oregon is the most addicted state in the Union. We have the most number of addicts of, of the whole country. Bravo, Oregon. The man also said that we're the least churched state in the Union. It kind of goes hand in hand with that. Uh, wow, right? So, where could you have the most effective witness? Should we travel to Texas, maybe, where there's more religion and less addiction? I don't know. I would say no. Obviously, God doesn't have us there. But we need to be witnesses here in Oregon. But all of you who are listening, and wherever you are, there are the the same thing. People who are, why are they persecuting Paul like this? He's going to tell us in our main passage There are not all who have faith, right? It's faith. It's not their upbringing, although that affects people, sure. And it's not their DNA. Like I said on Sunday, is it nature or nurture? People argue about that, but it's really neither because it doesn't matter. God says it doesn't matter who you were born or who you were born with or who your parents are. When you invite me into your heart, I make changes that overcome anything anything. I cure things. I don't make you better. I kill you and make you new. You see, so the, what makes a person who they are is their faith. And people put their faith in substances and they become addicts. People put their faith in the state and they become idiots. People put their faith in evolution and university and they become idiots. People put their faith in money, and they become addicted to that. You and I have a witness, and you and I need to let people know who the Lord is. And anyone that you know who has a ministry, not all, every Christian has a ministry, not all Christians follow it. Every Christian has work to do. Not every Christian does them. But for those of you know who have a ministry, pray for them. Maybe they're not facing what Paul is facing here. 
I've been praying for Fazel and Carrie over. Well, Fazel's over there now. I don't think Carrie's over there now, but Fazel's in Pakistan in a in a pretty rough time right now, and you know he's got a ministry, but it's not only him. What about the missionaries in Israel right now, where war has broken out? Um, you know things are things are going to get tough in the Middle East for a while. Not that they weren't before, but think, and that usually spills over all over the world. And persecution on Christians will increase, likely. Persecution on Christianity will increase. And what are we to do? Well, you don't see, and there's a reason why this is written for us, the history of Paul in the book of Acts. God commissioned Luke to write this so that we would have it and look to him and say, well, you know, in in the situation that Paul's in, if he was stoned to death and yet still went back into the city and preached the gospel... What should I do with my ministry? What's the most important thing to do? And that is to be like Christ. The most important thing for a Christian is to be like the Lord. And when you're like Him, you're going to exude Him to those around you by word and by action. So go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Look at verse 1. I want to be tackling this opening paragraph to the end of the letter uh, all week. Well, this week, and we're, today we're looking at prayer for others. Tomorrow we're going to look prayer for ourselves, because we have to do both. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. It really means to run. That that phrase "spread rapidly" is one word. Uh, the verb means to run. So that the word of the Lord will run or spread rapidly, which we see success in that just in the few passages we read in Acts 13 and 14, and be glorified. And he he, um, gives us insight into what glorifying the word is uh, right after it. He says, just as it did also with you. And so how was it glorified with them? Well, we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we find out, that when they heard the word of God, they accepted it as from God and not from Paul. And that's how the word is glorified. You see in the word the writings of God to you. And I was talking to somebody about this yesterday that, um, you know, for a long time they learned God's word. I identified with this because I did the same thing. We had learned God, God's word to accumulate knowledge for ourselves. In other words, you know, especially when I when I thought or thought I might have the gift of pastor teacher, I was accumulating God's word so that I could know God's word for you know the purpose of impressing others, maybe, or if they ask me a question, you don't want to sound like an idiot um, and, and stuff like that. And so I was reading God's word more as like a textbook than I was as letters that God had written to me. And that's how we have to look at it. All of us do. Hence, we can read our own Bibles and gain so much understanding because these are letters that God has written just to you. And so that's how the Word is glorified. Just as it did with also with you, is to accept the Word of the Lord as from the Lord, therefore authoritative and written to you. 
So, start again here. Uh, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you, and that we will be rescued from perverse or out of place. uh, Unfitting is another good translation for that word, and evil men. So, he prays for two things, but really three. That the word of God would run that the Word of God would be glorified, in other words, accepted out there as authority of God by faith in others, and that they, him and his co-workers, would be rescued or delivered from perverse and evil men. And then he describes these evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. So verse 3, we'll look at a little bit more tomorrow and see how that applies to our personal prayer life because therein lies the Lord's Prayer, the last petition of our Lord's Prayer. And uh, and then he says in verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ or the endurance of Christ. And so verse 5 is going to be our culmination. Um, so Paul asks for prayer. Actually, when he says pray for us, he puts it in the imperative. It's a command. He commands it. He demands it. And this isn't the only time that he has demanded prayer for himself. He has done so multiple times in his letters. Not has done so, because this is his first, first two letters. But he will do so multiple times. And he never asks for, hey, pray for me that there will be no bad people in the places that I go. Pray for me that there'll be no more suffering for me to make it hard. Pray for me that I don't get stranded at sea yet again. You know, that's not. He's not going to pray for that. He's sorry. He's not asking them to pray for that. He's asking them to pray that he will continue to spread the gospel, and that the uh, those who witness of the gospel would be delivered. And delivered doesn't mean that there'll be no suffering or no problems. It does mean that they'll be able to speak the gospel in front of and while they're being opposed by others. So this seems odd, does it not? That, um, you know, God has a plan for Paul. Why does he need prayer? Why does he need people asking God, hey, could you deliver God from evil men? As if God's going to be in heaven going, Oh, that's a good one. I hadn't thought of that. You know, of course. Why does God demand it? Why does if Paul demands it, God demands it that we pray for others? That's not just for Paul. This is for all that we know in our lives, who are witnessing, who are who have ministries, who are truly spreading the truth and are lights to the world. Not all Christians are, but it doesn't mean you don't pray for those who aren't being lights to the world. You should pray for them to wake up. But still, this our focus here is on those who are. Well, first, we'd have to say that God is wicked smart, as we used to say in New England. They still say in New England. I don't say anymore, <laughs> apparently. God is smart enough to perform all of his will while incorporating the requests of the saints. We wonder, why in the world would God want us to pray? And, you know, to come up with a a solid answer for that would be 
pretty hard. I mean, because unless God tells us in his word, we're only really guessing at it. We just know that he does. That's a fact. So my guess, which I hope is, is strong enough, <laughs> and I, I, I talked to God a lot about this the last few days, is oh, I, I'm, I'm asking him flat out, why do you want me to pray for people? Why do you want them to pray for Paul? Why did you ask for that? I mean, doesn't God support his ministry? He's a very impactful apostle. Wrote half the New Testament, right? So, why would he need prayer? And it's obvious, as we'll see in a second, that Paul knows he needs it. He is very aware that he needs prayer. Now, what we do know for sure is that God is going to do his will. God is going to do all that he desires. No doubt about it. He says it multiple times. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. He's going to accomplish everything. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's going to do everything that he wills. But we also know that he allows the saints to have input because that's what a petition is. If I'm asking God to do, let's go back to them where it's you know solid here. That if they're asking God to deliver Paul, and Paul and God delivers Paul, God has taken that request and inserted it, if you will, or imputed it, imputed it into His workings. Right? God's in control of human history. It's like He's. He's got a chess piece and he's going to move it. And then you ask him, could you do this, Lord, on behalf of so-and-so? And And he takes that chess piece and he puts it back and he says, you know what, I'm going to move it to another square. And I say, well, that's us. And this uh, theologians all through history have had problems with this for obvious reasons. That it's like we're telling God what to do. And it doesn't make any sense. But... In essence, we're not telling God what to do. God is going to do his own will. If not a single person ever prayed in the history of the world, God would do his will. He doesn't need us for that. But God has asked us. He has demanded it. He has asked us to petition him. And therefore, we have to say, well, all the saints... I mean, there could be one person praying legitimately, or there could be millions. And all of those petitions, God is able to put into his will to do what he will do, but also incorporate that. And it's not us telling God what to do. It's really the magnitude of God's wisdom. I think, truly, we forget sometimes, it's odd to do, but we forget how smart God is. That he can actually incorporate and still do what he willed to do, whether you asked or you didn't. He can do it a different way and still do his will. So, for instance, when God says, Moses, step aside in Exodus 32, I think it's in 32, God, 34 maybe. God says, step aside, Moses, I'm going to destroy Israel. Moses says, don't do that. And he prays and he tells God about his own reputation and says, God, don't don't do that. Lead them into the promised land or your name's going to be Bupkis here before the Egyptians. And God says, all right, Moses, I'll do it your way. 
That's what happened. Now, they all died in the wilderness anyway because of their dumb decisions. But he didn't kill all of them, did he? Um, and, and so, you know, God's will was, Israel went into the promised land, that was God's will. The, the manner of going to the promised land was altered by Moses' prayer, but it really didn't alter God's will. It's still, and then we're into the conundrum, well, way, of course, in eternity past. He saw that Moses prayed, and he worked that all in anyway. And now we're going too, we're going too far into trying to figure it out. And it's like someone, uh, I read this just recently, um, and this is in reference to us tearing apart wonderful things to see how they work. Because prayer is a wonderful thing. For many reasons, but you get to personally talk to your Father who is in heaven. You get to personally have an input in the ministry of another person's life. You get to personally have an input. You're really uh, coordinating with or fellowshipping with God and others and how God is going to affect others. And what an awesome privilege. And what we do sometimes is we say, well, I want to know how that all works with Eternity past and now and decrees and omniscience and free will and sovereignty and I want to and so what happens is we pull it all apart. And when we pull it all apart, what do we have? Pieces. And I read this in reference to people who uh, somebody was writing about how some people analyze Psalms or or parables. But Psalm, this was written about Psalms. And Psalms are poems, you know. They're songs, they're prayers, they're poems. It should be together. And he likened it to a botanist who analyzes a flower and pulls all the parts off of it and analyzes it, but you can't put the flower back together. Right? You got your analysis, but you also killed the flower. And you can't look at it anymore. You can't behold its beauty anymore. You destroyed it. We're not saying don't analyze, but don't pull apart to the point where you lose the beauty of what that is. And prayer is a beautiful thing. So, God is going to do His will, and He's smart enough to incorporate our petitions and requests into that will. Paul asked for prayer in all these passages. And we're going to read every one because it's impactful when you read them all together. Romans 15, 30, 2 Corinthians 1, 11, Ephesians 6, 19, and 20, Philippians 1, 19, Colossians 4, 3 through 4. Go to Romans 15, 30. Now, usually for the sake of time or presentation, we might, you know, pull one of these out and read it. And uh, when you read them all together... Uh, the impact is is what it should be. And so uh, it impacted me, and I want it to impact you. 1530, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints that I may come to you in joy and by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. 
Pray for me what? It sounds a lot like 2 Thessalonians 3. That I may be rescued from those who are disobedient and that my service in Jerusalem or for Jerusalem will prove acceptable to the saints. Pray for my ministry. Pray that I'll be delivered. Go to 2 Corinthians 1.8. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. For we do, not, we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. And Asia is where you know, that, that second missionary, actually, sorry, first and second missionary journey. <clears throat> Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we, we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. In other words, if we died, you know, we're trusting in him which apparently Paul did die when he was stoned to death. But notice his trust is in God here. That's important. He's not saying, I can't do it if you don't pray for me. I trust in God completely. Verse 10, God who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us, you also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. God will bestow favor by prayer. It's unmistakable. But he says here in verses 9 and and 10 that God is the one on whom we've set our hope. God is the one who's going to deliver us. And then the latter part of verse 10, and he will yet deliver us, you also joining in helping us through your prayers. God's going to deliver us. But your prayers are also important in delivering us. And so this shows us that, yes, God is going to do his will if nobody prays. But when we do pray, we're participating in that deliverance. And we're actually, in our petition to God, he is accepting that petition and putting it into his will and doing what you have asked him. And therefore, God has opened it up. He said, I'm going to do all my will, but I will do all my will with your input also. Do you want to be a part of this? My will is going to be done regardless, but do you want to be an active participant in my will for others, for history? That's what he's asking us. That's what prayer is for others in their ministries. Go to Ephesians 6.18. Ephesians 6.18. Right after the armor of God. With all prayer and petition. Pray at all times. This is where it's mostly quoted. Pray without ceasing. I think that's King James. Pray at all times in the Spirit. With prayer and all petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Pray that I speak the gospel boldly. 
Ephesians, Paul is under imprisonment. He's in prison or under house arrest in Rome when he writes it. And yet, he's still ministering, even though he's in chains. And so, that's what he asked for. He said, pray for all the saints and pray for me. So, so far, in three passages, Romans 15, 2 Corinthians 1, Ephesians 6, Paul asked for prayers to be rescued from evil people, to be helped in his ministry, and that he would speak the gospel boldly. Now go to Philippians 1.18. Philippians 1.18. Yes, I will rejoice, Paul says, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, just like he said in Ephesians, just we read, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. He's not praying that he won't die. It's not an issue for him. If it's God's will, it's God's will. But notice here he indicates that the prayers are going to play a part in his deliverance. In verse 19, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. But not only your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I mean, God is going to do His will through His Spirit, through His means, through His omniscience, through His sovereignty. He's going to do His will. But your prayers will also turn out for my deliverance. It's an amazing thing. And it's only right that it would be surrounded by mystery in terms of there's questions we have that can't be answered. It makes perfect sense because you have finite people in time who are weak and dumb. I mean, compared to what God's doing, I mean, we're so weak in Romans 8, it says that we don't even really know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings or utterings that are beyond our understanding. In other words, God knows what we're praying, but we don't even really know how to get it right. What in the world should I pray for for you? I don't know. I just pray for you. Pray for your your witness, your ministry. That you would see your ministry and, and walk in it. It's the most wonderful thing. Like when we're, we're in heaven, we're not going to be looking back here saying, you know, the things that Christians still have priority in. You know, material things. How much money you had in the bank or how good your house looked or your mortgage got paid off so early or at all. Um, whatever. Not that they're not important. And just saying, what's our priority? We're so busy taking care of the details of life that we have no time or no compunction to actually want to witness to the world for Jesus Christ, we're going to regret that. Albeit momentarily, I would assume, but we will regret it. Um, because it's the only real important thing. All the rest of the stuff, we ain't taking anything with us, of course, as you know. And so here in this praying, God desires for us to participate in his provisions for others. He desires it. 
He will incorporate your requests into His will. He will incorporate your requests into His will. Again, why should God listen to us? There are a lot of questions here that can't be answered, but it's true and overwhelming in its documentation through the New Testament concerning prayer for others. Prayer for self is also, that's going to be tomorrow. I really think that the complete answer of how this all works is way over our heads. And that's why God doesn't tell us all the details of it. His ways are higher than our ways, as high as the heavens are from the earth. But it's clear that our prayers will turn out for the deliverance of others. Now here's a great one. Go to Luke 22. It's a great one because it's the Lord praying it. And this one's unique. You know, we have the Lord's prayers, the Lord's prayer, the Lord's prayer in John 17, night before he died, and other prayers. This one is specific. It's, it's unique here. In verse 31, Luke 22:31, is after, you know, Peter had said, Lord, all others may forsake you, right? Paul, Jesus said, you're all going to forsake me. Peter said, not me. No way. All others may forsake forsake you, but I'll go to jail with you. I'll go to prison with you. I'll die for you. I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, you know what, Peter? I'm going to prophesy to you here. You're going to deny me three times before it's even morning. Before the next day breaks, you're going to deny me three times. And then he says in verse 31, Simon, Simon, I love this. The Lord gave him the name Petros which means rock. He said, I call you Petros. And, and that word, you know, that's the name that Christ gave him. But Simon is his birth name. And Jesus says it twice, which is emphasizing it. It's a Hebrew way of emphasizing it. And it's, and it's so compassionate because it's his birth name. He's not saying Peter, Peter. Simon, Simon. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. That doesn't sound good. Whatever that means, sifting wheat, like crushing it. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Right? Now, we know the Lord is at the right hand of God praying for us now. He's always interceding for us. How tender is this? I took the time, Peter. All right, why isn't the Lord like, you know, this is all decreed? What's the big deal? Yeah, Peter's going to deny me. What do I care? I, I already know how it's all going to work out. It's all pre-programmed. I mean, it's come on. It's like punching a key on a keyboard and the right letter comes up. It's, there's nothing to it. There's nothing. You know, when you're programming a computer or typing out words on a computer... You hit the key, and there goes the letter. It's, there's no relationship there. right? It's not like you have to sweet-talk your computer or request of it. You just do it. It's an input. But you see, prayer here, and the Lord shows us here, this is far more than just input. And yet, the Lord Himself has taken time to pray for Peter. 
that your faith won't fail. And you know what? It doesn't. Peter denies the Lord and he falls apart. But notice, and here the Lord's confidence after he says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and you, when once you have turned again, in other words, once you've gotten out of that pity party for what you did, once you get your head screwed on straight again, strengthen your brothers because they're going to need it. In other words, I want, I've got a mission for you, Peter, and I want you to strengthen the others because they're going to need it. They're all going to fail too, aren't they? And Peter's going to be able to help them. I pray that your faith won't fail. You know, I, I, I pondered how this prayer might have been fulfilled. We know in Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 15 that the Lord went, when he, after he was resurrected and he appeared to the women at the grave, he appeared to Mary, and then he appeared to the apostles. He went into the room. That Only Paul tells us that he went to Peter one-on-one in 1 Corinthians 15. He went and appeared to Peter. And that one-on-one. And that might have been the fulfillment of this prayer. The Lord prayed to the Father, let's not let Peter's faith fail. And the Father said, you know what? I'm going to have you go to him one-on-one and talk to him. Maybe. But we don't know. We do know that the Lord went to him. All right, go to Colossians 4. Yeah, I guess we have to finish them. I'm running out of time quicker than I... This happens every time I teach. I don't know why I'm surprised. Colossians 4, 2. (laughs) I have almost 3,000 messages that I've done, and every time I'm shocked by how quick the time goes by. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. I love this, keep alert in it. Right? This is a good advice to us. When you start praying and you start uh, drifting in your mind. And uh, I don't know, me, I'm a nail biter. So I'll sit there like chewing on my nails. And I'll be like, oh, crap, sorry, God, you know, I am talking to you right now. Or falling half asleep or something. Devote yourselves to prayer. Keep alert in it. It's, it's, Paul knows this is important stuff. You're speaking to your Father. Stay alert with an attitude of thanksgiving because what a privilege it is to pray for, to Him in fellowship with Him and for others. Praying at the same time for us as well, Paul and his co-workers, that God will open up to us a door for the word that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear the way I ought to speak. So this clarity of speaking, just like Ephesians 6, uh, 20, that he may speak with boldness. But notice, pray for a door to be opened. Isn't God going to open the doors anyway? Yeah. But how many more doors were opened? Maybe different doors in different ways. Who knows? It's not for us to know. That's the point. But we are told to. And notice he says at the head of verse 2, devote yourselves to it. Commit to it. It's that important. Stay Stay alert in it. It's that important. Now, Satan is active 
against the interests of preachers. I should have changed that. I don't want preachers, but everyone who ministers. It's not just preachers. Not just pastors. It's everyone who has a ministry. All of us have a ministry. Is anyone who is actually in their ministry, living in it. You know, those who are not ashamed to proclaim the gospel to others are a light to the world. An actual light. Satan is active against their interests and against the interests of their listeners. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan for we're not ignorant of his schemes. And in the context here, he tells the Corinthians to forgive one another. And it is the lack of forgiveness in which Satan, in this case, Satan saw a door to get in there and cause division because there was bitterness and division. Paul said, forgive one another. Satan's always looking. Right? We could refer to him as a prowling lion, a lion prowling around seeking someone to devour. Always prowling, always looking. When it comes to Paul in 1 Thessalonians, he said, we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan thwarted us. Uh, So let's go there. We'll close it there and I'll leave Ecclesiastes for tomorrow. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 Paul writes, we wanted to come to you. This he writes from Corinth. He left Thessalonica, went to Berea, went to Athens, to Corinth. And for whatever reason, he couldn't get there. He couldn't get back to Thessalonica. So he sent Timothy to see how they were doing. We wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once, yet Satan hindered us. How did Satan hinder him? He doesn't say. You know, it's not like Satan closed the roads. It's just that Satan hindered. He knew it was Satan. He decides not to go into detail. Uh, if Satan could hinder him, why didn't he hinder Paul all the time? As soon as Paul wanted to leave Antioch with Barnabas on the first missionary journey, something stopped him and they never got ten feet out the door. I don't know. Why is Satan successful this time and not at other times? Obviously, Satan didn't hinder him from going to other places. God only knows. Nobody knows. And this gets to the heart of why we pray for others. How are things going to turn out? If you're a righteous person who lives righteously, you're a believer who loves God's Word and you're sold out and you truly want to Glorify the Lord. You have grown enough spiritually that you've left behind a lot of the baggage from your flesh and you're free and you're, and you're, you're ready to go and you're going. Is everything going to work out in your favor? Is everything going to work out the way that you want it to? You say, uh, you know, the new neighbors just came into town and I'm going to witness to them. 
or a new member of our family. I'm going to witness to them or whatever. And, and is it going to work out? You know, is it are you going to be able? And you could put your truly proper motivation in a, one who walks in righteousness and lives righteously and it turns out terrible. Now, the thing, and things happen to you that happen to wicked people. It shouldn't happen to you. It shouldn't happen to me. I'm following the Lord. That shouldn't have happened. And yet, what about the wicked? Are the wicked always getting what they deserve? Well, we read the news and it's like, no, they're not. I mean, the ones we see in the news seem to be getting away with everything. Well, does God talk about this? He does quite a bit, actually. If we had time, we would have read it. But we'll save it for tomorrow. God is very clear that things are not going to work out the way that you expect. Now, things are going to work out the way that he expects because he knows it all. But we don't know anything. You and I, we try to control our futures. We find out that's ridiculous. There's no point. We can't. We try to control our outcomes to the things that we do. That's impossible. We cannot. We know from our past. We, God has given us this gift of being able to see time. We contemplate the past, the present, and the future. And in this time, we wonder, how is it all going to work out? You know, how many of us spend time thinking about well the rapture and the second coming of Christ and the end times and the future? How's that all going to work out? What's happening with America right now? Or has been happening? Are things getting better, worse? Somewhere in between? We never know. We never know. Only God does. And you see, when we pray for others, where our own petitions are inputting or having input in what is going to work out. We don't know how, but we know that what we have asked, because it has to be according to his will, obviously. But if I'm asked according to his will, I know that God is incorporating that into the future. And I've just become a part of it. He could say no to my request. That's true. And in a way, I have an input there, don't I? I told God how he shouldn't do it. <laughs> in a way. Hey, God, you want to do this? No. Perfect. Because, yeah, I, what do I know, right? So that's the next part to this. We'll incorporate it into tomorrow. We'll look at praying for ourselves. Ourselves and others. No, but only God knows. Nobody knows how things are going to turn out. And I mean tomorrow or whatever. And we've got to be okay with that. Because when we start praying to God and we say we expected you to do this the way we asked, you're going to be on your own there. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the gift of prayer. May each of us, Father, be inspired even more to pray on behalf of others, to pray for the ministries of others. And for those who are not walking in their ministry that you have so graciously given them, Father, we pray that they would see and see the meaning of what life really is. And if they did, they would seek that ministry with their heart and soul. 
So teach us to pray, Father. Teach us to increase our faith in prayer. And we ask in Christ's name, amen.